coaching can help you gain deeper understanding of challenges that may be holding you back. You may not realize that there are others who may be successful and operating successful businesses who share some of the same challenges that you are facing. Welcome to Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves. Our program will look into the individuals and their challenges and show how the coaching process may be what they need to find the root causes of these challenges within themselves and learn to work through these challenges in order to find success. Now, here's your host, Ronald Graves. Hello, welcome to Coaching for Real, brought to you by Poema Leadership Institute, the show that brings you real people, real challenges, and real breakthrough. Again, I'm your host, Ronald Graves. And this show is about you. Coaching for Real is on the Voice America Business Channel to help you discover your masterpiece and live into your greatness. Let's look at the word coach for just a minute. The word coach is used to describe a number of different people. There are sports coaches, life coaches, business coaches, performance coaches, executive coaches, and many more. Why do these people call what they do coaching instead of, say, teaching or training or leading, or consulting, or even mentoring. What do these people all have in common? You see, we spent most of our lives learning from others through different media, such as books, classrooms, computers, radio, television, the internet, and even face-to-face conversations. And those people fill the role of teacher, author, trainer, manager, leader, consultant, mentor, and so on. And that's all good because every one of us should be learning and growing every day. And there is an unlimited amount of knowledge all around us. But for the challenges you're currently facing in your life and in your business, there's one source of answers other than God that is far superior to anything that can be found in the world of knowledge. And that source is you. Let me explain. First and foremost, it's important to understand that you were created to be great. There's a masterpiece, a poema within your DNA that is just waiting to be discovered. And that is precisely what coaching is all about. Unlike teachers, consultants, mentors, managers, who are all very important, a coach enables you to develop a greater sense of self-awareness so you can see your challenges from an entirely new perspective and then draw upon your internal greatness to reach the next level. You see, coaching introduces you to who you are. It makes the unconscious conscious. Things that you are totally unaware of, things that will help you solve your biggest challenge, come to light for the first time. Coaches are unique because they do not bring you the answers. Why? Because they know that the best answers don't come from them or from the world around you, They lie within you. So how about you? How are you addressing that big challenge that's staring you in the face? That mountain that's standing in your way? What if you could see that obstacle from an entirely new perspective? From a level of consciousness that you never realized you could reach? How important would that be to you? If that's what you've been looking for, let me know. You can reach out to me at Ronald at RonaldGraves.com. That's Ronald at RonaldGraves.com. Now, before I introduce our guest, I have something new for everyone. Each week, I will be offering a free one-hour coaching session to one of our listeners. All you have to do 
is click on the banner at the top of the Coaching for Real show page. From there, you can order my newly released Nuggets of Leadership lessons free of charge, and you will automatically be registered to win this week's free coaching session. And once you're registered, your name will remain in the pool for each subsequent week's drawing until you win. You can do that right now while you're listening to the show. Just click on the banner at the top of this page. You can have the opportunity to discover the first steps for breaking through your biggest challenge. Right now, those steps are hidden, like buried treasure, just waiting to be uncovered. So don't miss out. Today, our special guest is Vlad Lakshin. Vlad is a guru of modern engineering and the founder of Darwin Apps and Turtle.ai. Darwin Apps helps marketing teams hack growth by providing engineering service resources, and Turtle.ai makes it easier for customers and digital freelancers to work together. At Darwin Apps, Vlad has led a marketing engineering teams for companies such as Audi, Meltwater, Namely, VTS, Seagate, and many more. Vlad holds an MBA from Cornell Tech and dual degrees in engineering and business from the University of Maryland. So welcome, Vlad. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. How are you tonight? I am good. I'm good. Over in New York where it's uh, finally warming up a little bit. That's great. That's great. Thank you very much for being on our show. Thanks again for having me. Vlad, can you take us back to the beginning? Walk us through your career leading up to the point at which you founded Darwin Apps. Um, sure. Uh, so I went to school uh, at University of Maryland with engi- with a, for pursuing an engineering and a business degree. Um, mm-hmm. And I did that with the original intention of going into investment banking, um, admittedly because of, you know, you're 18 or 19 years old and you first enter college and you look for what jobs pay the most and investment banking is usually at the top of the list. So then reverse engineering, how can I get there? I decided to pursue both an engineering and a business degree to stand out um, among other people pursuing that career. Uh, but when it got time to graduating, I remember I did a, um, a senior year like thesis on the, uh, the investment banking industry at the time. And this was right when the economy fell in 2008. Um, and it just became crystal clear that I'd be contributing to this zero-sum system and taking money away when something is falling. And it's just not where, where I wanted to invest the rest of my life. So I, uh, at the time, I, I started doing some web design and some little side work with another student. Um, and I really got a feel for what it was like to build something with a really small team. Uh, so I kind of took the opposite approach of going from wanting to go into investment banking, um, dabbled in, in looking into management consulting and consulting, or at least as far as you can do um, coming out of undergrad, and eventually uh, landed on wanting to work at a startup. Um, and in the D.C. area at the time, the startup industry wasn't flourishing exactly. Um, so it was a little hard to find. It wasn't quite like San Francisco. This is 2009. Um, but I did find a, a startup that was a, a Facebook for doctors. And I convinced the CEO and the CTO to pull me on as their first hire. Um, and that was my first job. And that kind of reinforced uh, not only how much I loved working with a small team and seeing results happen very quickly, um, but how close I wanted to be the engineering process. Um, I think with any kind of entrepreneurial mindset, whether you're a large company or even at a small team, um, it doesn't last long. Some people are just really bad at having bosses, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is what led me to actually starting Darwin Apps. 
so it was I had left the startup uh, because of some equity issues and things that, that aren't really worth getting into a call. Um, and uh, other companies in, in the DC area kind of knew that I, I did this sort of product and development role um, at a startup. So they asked me to come start helping out on projects. And before I knew it, I was in over my head on the technical side, but I was still the most technical one within those teams. Um, so how Darwin Apps really started was there was definitely a technical startup and development need um, in the D.C. area that wasn't being fulfilled. Uh, I could no longer fulfill it myself, nor was I technically sound enough to do it. So I started finding partners that were more technical than me that could help uh, develop it, which eventually became Darwin Apps as a software consulting shop. Um, that was really the uh, the groundwork of it. And I, I met uh, my CTO and co-founder, Sergey, uh, back in 2010. And uh, we hit it off after our first project and really aligned on, on a model of can we bring much more efficient software development to the market compared to what most agencies are offering where it's just, a, in our opinion, kind of this nasty world of fixed-price projects and trying to suck out profits from both sides. Um, we wanted to take a much more engineering approach on it, and I carefully use my word engineering there because uh, I don't want to <laughs> down-talk other agencies or other approaches. Um, but we, from day one and today, continue to see success is how efficient can we make engineering for, for our customers and our teams. Um, and that was really kind of the glue that created and continues to hold Darwin and has, has also transitioned itself into Turtle now. Okay. It sounds like you didn't spend a whole lot of time in the corporate world before you actually got into, into the Darwin apps. Um, so when I first started Darwin apps, I did um, actually take a job at Audi as well. Uh, I've always been a car nut and Audi's headquarters is uh, right near D.C., um, and they were looking for someone that was in, in a sales app role and could kind of handle half business, half half technical, which my degrees and also my personality match pretty well. Um, and what they didn't know was that I was a car nut. So while I went in there just to kind of see what the opportunity was about, what sold me was walking in and it's a corporate office, but downstairs you had Lamborghinis and Audis. Audi owns Lamborghini or Volkswagen owns Audi, Lamborghini and others. So that's what really sold me on Audi. Um, but again, the internal entrepreneurial fire uh, was stronger than my love for cars. Uh, so it was, at the time, really just, uh, it was great experience and, and great team members to meet along the way and, and really did enjoy working on a couple of products there as well. Um, but internally for me and who I am as a person and what it did for my career, it, it, was, it was a means to an end for me to be able to, uh, to pursue uh, Darwin full-time. Okay. When you decided to you know, move from that you know, working for others to uh, to doing the Darwin project. Uh, what were some of the options you had? How did you decide which of those options to choose? Um, I don't really think I had options. I think I did everything that I could to pre-meditate exactly what would happen. So I, at the time, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky and I have supportive parents, not in the sense that they're super wealthy or wealthy and can just support me financially, but they are very caring and welcoming. And at the time, um, when I was at Audi and young and just a couple of years out of school, uh, I knew that I didn't want to be there forever. So I actually just moved home and spent a year, year and a half at Audi, literally saving up uh, with an exact plan of moving the company from DC to California. Um, we, we knew that we delivered a great service as far as very high quality engineering for a great price. Uh, we did not think that the DC market was the best place to sell it. There's a lot of government contracting work and sometimes efficiency and 
uh, and quality isn't what wins as far as proposals go. So we had this hunch that if we moved the company out to San Francisco, we'd have a much easier time uh, selling. But moving an entire company out to, to San Francisco takes some money and energy. So um, I didn't really leave myself with a choice. I, I set a date. I set a budget. Um, I saved until we hit that budget and waited until I hit that date. And it was myself, uh, our founding designer, and uh, our founding um, VP of engineering that moved out to San Francisco together. Talk about that move, how you, know, you planned it, you yeah. saved uh, for it. it. Um, talk about doing from coast to coast like that. That's, that's kind of unusual. Yeah, yeah. Scary was probably the, the only word to describe <laughs> it. I mean, this is like the total startup story. Like I, the first two weeks I, I slept on a couch. Um, after that, it was our designer and myself uh, and his girlfriend at the time living in a in an apartment um, and kind of working out of the apartment as well. Then we ended up getting office space that was um, had beautiful roof access, but I'm not sure that it would actually qualify as an office. It's a little more of an attic, but we fit five desks in there somehow. Um, but it was, I mean, it was really a couple of the best years of my life. Um, we, we went out there with nothing and we came back with a real brand name, real customers, and um, a, a real foot on the ground in terms of, of, of having some positioning in the software development space, which we did not have before we went out to California. So the move to California, you said, would give you better op- opportunities and better options. How how did yeah. that, how yeah. did the reality match up it to was, your expectations? It, it's always slower than you expect, but sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it'll get to what you expect. It just might take a little longer than, than, than planned. Um, so unfortunately, it led. Um, it took so long that a couple of the co-founders had actually left. Uh, one is now at Google and designs mobile uh, Google for Business uh, maps, and is a lead designer there and is loving life. And we're still very close. And the other one has started a software education company um, that is doing very well as well. Uh, other partners have stayed on for the business, but I say that because it took so long for things to click that financially there was too much of a strain at the time, which I think is a real as a is an important lesson for anybody that's willing to start a business. Like people say that the financial strain is there, um, but not until you feel it and until your partners feel it and until people are faced with opportunities that pay them two or three times as much money, like our founding designer and Google at the time, um, do they really have to make those tough decisions in life? Um, it's not easy to leave a company that you start. It's not easy to tell your friend or uh, somebody that you respect from a work setting that something is personally a better opportunity for you than current. And it's not easy to maintain and, and sell new contracts at the same time that all of that's going on. Uh, we had a company that ended up getting bought by Seagate that came on as a customer pretty soon after we got to, uh, to California. Um, and it took us a while to get the contract together and really to get started on the work and really to get paid out for the work. Um, and, and that caused a lot of stress initially when we were first there. I mean, we were small at the time. Um, and at the end of it, we got paid out for the work. Seagate bought the company. Seagate saw what we had built for them and actually pulled on us on as a vendor as well. And that's how we got Seagate as a customer. Um, and knock on wood, the finances straightened out and it got a lot easier and we could actually start paying ourselves salaries and then we could actually start hiring others in the team and growing and expanding to larger customers. But I mean, they tell you that it's a tough initial road. It's a, it's a tough initial road. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough. It's only a, it's a small term compared to what a reality Turns out to be. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, every, every mentor or entrepreneur that I talk to, I mean, they're just like, save for a few extra months than you ever planned to, and you kind of just say, yeah, 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 to yourself. But 
Uh, I mean, really, when, when every one of your friends is making a real salary and you're taking uh, some savings and using that to pay for office rent and pay yourself last and pay other... I mean, I think if you're starting a business, you have to pay yourself last. Otherwise, it just sends the wrong message and you're probably just not built to start a business. Um, I, I think that that's how entrepreneurs should think. Uh, and to my fortune or misfortune, that's exactly how I thought, um, which made finances very stressful kind of in my early 20s because of that. It all ended up being worth it. It was just, you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's tough to see friends getting paid a salary and, and you paying others a salary without exactly. paying yourself. True. Now, I've heard it said many times that it's difficult, if not impossible, to be successful without help of others. And it sounds like that's what you had. So could you talk about the people who stuck with you uh, during this Absolutely. time? You mentioned uh, Sergey. And I want to make a note that even, yes, yeah, so Sergey, our CTO, but even um, even partners that had left the business, I mean, they still believed in, in our engineering and our efficiency to the point that, you know, we, we've repositioned the business since. So like looking back, we don't even cover design anymore. That's not a core competency. So Alex, the designer that is now at Google, it, it, it wouldn't have made sense for him to stick around anyway. So it was kind of one of those, you know, it's, it sucked when it happened, um, but it was all for the right reasons. Um, and then the other partners that stuck around, we have Sergey uh, in our DC office, who still runs the CT office, uh, the DC office. Um, we have Alex as a partner that's actually in Europe and runs our team in Europe. Um, and they have stuck around since, since day one, but I, I don't want to, you know, discredit the partners that have left. I think people need to do what's right for them as individuals. And there's opportunity to do what's right for yourself as an individual while also still doing enough to do right by a business that, that you may have left. Um, so okay. I, uh, I think that as long as people are good to each other, even in times of conflict like that, there are positive ways for both sides to get out of the situation. Um, Great. But we, uh, okay. for the people that did stick around, um, Sergey's office has, has grown in D.C. and Alex's office has grown uh, in Europe. Uh, the client base has really moved from just Seagate was our, our notable client at the time to now including um, Audi, Meltwater, M.M. LaFleur in New York, namely in New York, uh, VTS and Hightower that have recently formed in New York, um, and really some top brands in the space. Um, so I, I, I like to say that it was well worth it. <laughs> Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Well, I'm going to stop right here because we're approaching our first commercial break. So when we return, Vlad and I will continue talking about this startup and uh, all the things that he went through to make it successful. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to Coaching for Real on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Imagine a relationship where you're asked to think rather than being told what to think. A relationship that is focused on your potential, not your performance. This is Coaching, a designed alliance where the single purpose is achieving your intended outcome. Discover that what lies behind you and what lies before you are trivial matters compared to what lies within you. Understand that your current realities do not define your potential. They are merely your current awareness of your potential. Become your own hero. Your greatest possibilities lie beneath your current level of self-awareness. Waiting to be discovered. Choose to live into the greatness that God created for you. 
Discover the magnitude of what's within you so you can conquer the magnitude of what surrounds you. Your coach is passionate about helping you achieve your masterpiece at RonaldGraves.com. Again, that's RonaldGraves.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also choose to send an email to ronald at ronaldgraves.com. Now, back to Coaching for Real. Welcome back. Before we continue with our guest, I want to let you know that my Nuggets of Leadership MP3 program is available for download absolutely free to every one of our listeners. You can have all seven leadership lessons in the palm of your hand. This is a must if you want to raise your leadership bar. For example, nugget number one will show you how to stop wasting time trying to improve your weaknesses and instead discover and play to your strengths. Why? Because people will only hire you or contract with you because you can do something better than anybody else. Simply click on the Nuggets of Leadership banner at the top of this show page to order your free download. Plus, your name will be placed in the pool to win a free one-hour coaching session. You could be this week's winner. So click on the banner at the top of this page, even while you're listening to this program. Now, we're talking to Vlad Lakshin, guru of modern engineering and the founder of Darwin Apps and Turtle.ai. Vlad, when we broke for commercials, you were giving us some great advice on startups, not only from your own experience, but some things that you would recommend that people keep in mind that may not be in the textbook, so to speak. But I'm going to switch that just a little bit and ask you, can you give our listeners three or four things to avoid that could derail a startup project? Yeah. Um, Let me try to think about a structure of uh, three or four there. Um, I mean, number one, um, and dealing in my world, and I think a lot of modern startups are, are based on some kind of technology, whether it's a website or an app or a system. Um, many companies at this point, whether it's the heart of their business or a part of their business, rely on technology to start. Um, and that's where I spend most of my time working. Uh, and, and I just see so many companies fail because they have intended to build the wrong thing. It's not that they found the wrong engineering team. It's not that they have bad designs. It's that the intention of what they wanted to get built isn't something that they actually needed. Um, I think people over-design and over-engineer way before the market actually demands it. Uh, like for, for product management, we, um, we use the term of skateboarding internally at Darwin Ops and at Turtle. Uh, what that means is uh, when people want to build a product or, or start a new company and, and want to either build a website or, or an app or anything else that, that's supporting their business to start, 
uh, they've got this this idea in their head of this like magical car that that is the subcomponents of everything they want built, um, and then they they draw every little detail of what needs to get done, uh, and then they send it off for engineering. And then the way that engineers interpret it is, we need to get every one of these details done. So let's go off and build the small subcomponents of the car and put all that together. How I would recommend companies look at it instead is instead of building a car, build a skateboard. What is it that's absolutely minimal that will get your customers from point A to point B with a smiling face with the least amount of money that you can possibly spend? Um, So all of that just summarizes down to uh, don't overdo it. Uh, Really think about what is it that we really need? What is it that's essential uh, for our customers perceiving value? So instead of building out an entire app, maybe you could just handle your customers through a sign-up page and an email process. Um, that's something that could save a company hundreds of thousands of dollars in the extreme cases. I mean, there are people that there are companies that go and spend two or three or four hundred thousand dollars on a product without actually market testing if it's something they actually need. Um, and then another thing to to avoid is I, I think that we live in a world now where there's this massive opportunity of agencies and freelancers. Uh, the options used to be if you want quality work done, you hire your own people. Um, and that still remains true. There's absolutely value in hiring your own people. But if people aren't also looking in pockets like agencies that specialize in combining a pre-built service plus their own customization or uh, freelancers that are willing to work for five or 10 hours a week when you don't really need 40 hours of work uh, per week, that brings massive efficiencies to a startup when you really have to be as efficient as possible. Um, and then looking internationally, looking at in other parts of the world, looking at other states, looking at other counties, um, just remembering that we live in a world today where you can hire somebody that's within 50 miles of you, and you can also hire somebody that's 3,000 miles away. Great. Can you walk us through the steps of putting together your team? Now, you, your team has now gone international, but how did it all come yeah, together? For, yeah, so for, for Darwin Apps, um, the, that meeting that I talked about with Sergey was uh, the first time that we ever met was really how, how the team came together. Um, I... Uh, we, we met for coffee back in 2010, I believe, on a first project. Um, you know, he, he said, hey, I used to run the, the engineering team uh, that ended up being Yahoo's ad exchange platform. So I was immediately impressed that this guy had access to the team that built Yahoo's ad exchange platform. Um, and I had expressed that, that I cover all things product design for um, this healthcare, uh, Facebook for healthcare startup that, that's in D.C. So we came together and I said, okay, so I'll cover everything from product and design and customer management. And as long as you can get us great engineers, uh, we can make this work. And the company really started off from there. I mean, we obviously ended up expanding to other, like I did cover product design, but I'm not the most amazing artist in the world. So I found an amazing artist and that was our founding designer. And Sergey's very technical, but he's not the most amazing engineer in the world. So he found the most amazing engineer in the world and that became another founding partner. Um, it, it very much so started with that first meeting and then grew out from there. Um, and then Turtle, uh, grew actually also from Sergey a bit. Uh, Sergey is an extremely well-connected individual with, with high-end uh, engineering in all parts of the world. So uh, Venkat actually ran a company, Venkat is my co-founder in Turtle. He ran a company that was similar to Darwin Apps, uh, and we came together um, trying to offer a different part of the market, a slightly different service. So Darwin Apps is a very efficient agency and is a great uh, resource for marketing teams that are looking for engineering from an agency perspective, meaning they work with an account manager and a project manager. Turtle offers smaller companies and individuals the ability to go directly to an engineer. Uh, the onus of management is on them, 
Um, so it's a different model and a different kind of customer, uh, but it's similar in terms of we have to find great engineers in the U.S. and abroad. So the recruitment process is very similar. And for our, our core team and even some of our freelancers, those actually came from Sergey as well for, for Turtle, the new company, um, even though Sergey is not with Turtle. So, you know, find, find good connections in, in random parts of the world and treat people right and, uh, you know, be fair to them and maybe they'll help you out. So I, I owe a lot of it to Sergey. Outstanding. I, I like the theme that, that you were talking about there that, that I also ascribe to, and that's find people who are better than you at doing what they do. Because obviously you can't do everything yourself. So it's, it's great philosophy. Let's talk about Thank the psychology you. of remote international work. What are, yeah. what are they thinking, those people who are, you know, thousands of miles away from you in many different time zones? So, a lot of the time they're thinking the exact same thing that, that somebody that would be sitting right next to you is thinking with a little bit of anxiety later on top of that that I think we all have to understand why it's there and where it's coming from. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of a freelancer that's working in, in Colombia or, or it could be somewhere else in the U.S. or Canada or, or somewhere in Eastern Europe. They get hired for an exciting new project. Um, it's their first time working with a team in this specific country. Um, and a lot of times the anxiety of wanting to impress the customer uh, can be overwhelming. And it can be perceived as a freelancer that uh, isn't, quite uh, up to the challenge, which usually isn't the case. Usually as long as the same kind of icebreakers and the same kind of management is used for someone that's sitting 3,000 miles away to somebody that's sitting right next to you, uh, the, the results aren't as vastly different as, as people commonly think they are when you work with somebody next to you or when you work with a freelancer. So the most important things to, to remember are freelancers have the same motivations as a, somebody working on your team. They want to do good work. They want to make you happy. If they're not doing that, you'll find out very soon. In the same way that you find out that a freelancer is doing bad work in one day, it's the same exact way that if you find out if somebody is a full-time hire and they're doing a bad job in one day. It's the same vetting process. It's the same testing process. It's the same working process. Um, so I, I would just remember that there's a natural level of human anxiety that's there when you're crossing borders and countries, and it happens on both the customer side and it happens on the freelancer side. And as an employer, so the hiring company, um, I think the job is on the employer, the hiring company, to make sure that everyone feels as comfortable as possible, especially in the initial phase of that project. So the advice is really easy. Keep in mind that somebody working from, from another country is probably going to be a little anxious about working with someone in the U.S. for the first time or even not for the first time, just a new company um, in the U.S. Uh, and outside of that, treat them with the same respect and guidance that you would treat somebody that's sitting right next to you. A lot of times people, for some reason, just assume that if they're shipping work off, they can just kind of throw it over the edge and expect that it gets done. And they would never treat a full-time resource that way. For a full-time hire, they would support them and make sure that if they had any questions, they would answer those. So um, I'm, I, I wish I understood why that happens. It happens more often than I'd like to see it. Um, and I think that that's something that needs to be avoided as consciously as possible. And um, it, it's easy to do. It's, you know, I put a job out, I decided to pay somebody for it, and people suddenly get in this mindset of I'm paying them for something. So I'm the boss. So they should do exactly as I say. And that's just, that's not the way that you would treat someone if you hired them full time. So I think treating someone with the same respect as when someone is full time is, is critical to, uh, to being successful with a freelancer. Okay. Glad you have a team of experts when it sounds like they're probably pretty independent thinkers. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, of course. Okay. 
So how do you instill the Tom, you know, with all these people who have all these ideas and they're all over the world, how do you instill the concept of teamwork when you've got a bunch of superstars working with you? How do you instill the concept of teamwork? Um, again, I think the exact same way that, that you would in a, in a real company setting. I think there, there needs to be some artificial guidelines that might not always be there in traditional companies, but I think the best performing traditional companies perform the same way. So something that, that we do is just like a traditional company, there, there are weekly sprints and weekly resets, weekly check-ins for a design team, weekly check-in for um, an engineering team. But something that we try to keep uh, very top of mind is a monthly reset. So a monthly reset is nothing more creative than a monthly meeting. Um, but we use that monthly meeting mostly on making sure that everyone is supporting each other in the way that they should, is clear on what their objectives are from a very high level uh, for the month. And we really try to make sure that those meetings are as lighthearted and as positive as possible. Um, there's always a time and place to come down on somebody if a deadline is missed. Um, that can be handled in other settings. Uh, at a time that the entire team gets together, I think positivity coming into and out of that meeting are absolutely critical or there's simply no reward mechanism for somebody wanting to participate as part of the team. Um, and then outside of that, there's tools today like Slack and even Turtle um, and other chat programs that let you feel like you're constantly in communication with somebody, even if they're in other parts of the world. And I, I really don't think it's going to be that long before we can just put on a pair of glasses and feel like we're right next to someone that's working on the other side of the world as well. I know that sounds like, you know, very far out in the future, but I think we'll see a, a real version of that within five years from today. Okay. I'd like to see what that looks like. <laughs> I don't think it'll look any different than glasses, and then uh, soon after that, it'll look no different than a pair of contacts. Yeah, very good. Now, you seem to have a, found a solution for coaching and training those remote workers. So what, you know, not everybody can do that. So what What's wrong with how companies hire and manage their workers today. I mean, that's, that's to talk about a, a workforce um, that's in a, in a yeah, you know, together. So what, one thing is very basic. One is a language barrier. Um, people think that, you know, if, if I can't speak Russian or Spanish, I can't work with somebody in a Spanish-speaking or a Russian-speaking country. Really, all that means is that you need either someone on the other side that can, be, that can translate or can speak your language fluently, or on your side, you want to be able to cover the other language. I think a lot of barriers go down um, when you can either speak the same language literally, or come together on, on potentially cultural differences initially. So what I do is, um, on a lot of our recruitment calls, I'll actually, um, in the first calls, speak Russian fluently so that all guards are kind of let down. And I know that's a very easy thing for me to do because I can speak Russian fluently, but I think there are other creative ways to do that. So researching a holiday that's in a specific country and bringing that up very soon, um, it, it's, it's just a basic fundamental idea of showing somebody on the other side of the world that you care which happens so rarely in today's freelancer economics. So like there are sites like Upwork, which just really motivate uh, companies to get as much as possible out of freelancers without the rewards or that kind of support structure being there. Um, and that's just not how humans should be treated. Whether it's a freelancer or a full-time worker, there are still great hardworking professionals. Um, genius is, is everywhere. Opportunity is not. That's something that I repeat a lot. Um, and a lot of freelancer companies are, are, are starting to embrace, uh, but the, the systems that make treating freelancers well hard or, or impossible even um, are systems that I don't think that we should support going forward because it, it neglects a, a huge opportunity that we have to really start working with people in other parts of the world. Okay. 
I'm going to switch gears just a little bit on you now. Um, sure. And offer a couple of statements that I'd like you to elaborate on, if you would. We've got about two minutes to break, so if we can get through this first one before the break, we'll get the rest of them afterwards. Um, the first one is hacking marketing growth through engineering. Can you explain what that means? Sure. Uh, so hacking marketing growth through engineering uh, is something coined by, by the team at Darwin Apps. Um, and we noticed, so to, let's talk about how we got there. Uh, Darwin Apps started as just like most engineering agencies do. We offer great developers for whatever project you need. And that's how we started. We had a designer. I would do a lot of the product management. We had other product managers and project managers involved. And then our biggest team was the engineering team. And we always had rave reviews for engineering. Um, and design, uh, we always had great reviews, but it was hard for us to maintain. We didn't have as many designers. We, uh, we, we didn't have the process as down as, as engineering. So this was probably two and a half years ago that we really uh, looked at what kind of customers we have and what they need from us and distilled it down to, okay, well, there are a ton of marketing companies that don't get the engineering support they need from their internal teams. They constantly feel neglected. It stands in the way of a core business function, which is marketing. Marketing is a step before, before sales and a derivative of sales and something that supports both sales and product and sits nicely in between. But we notice this neglect pattern over and over again. So there's a technology company. There's a marketing team inside of that technology company. And the marketing team has to literally beg for engineering time from their engineering teams. We saw that. We faced it head on, and we started providing marketing teams a flexible engineering service where instead of getting one person, they get access to a full team at a set number of hours per month. They get access to a project manager that helps make sure that they're being as efficient with those hours as possible and planning only who they need. Uh, but what hacking marketing growth through engineering means is for a set price and a set number of hours each month, marketers can take away the bottleneck that engineering is something that they, they used to think it was. So instead of it being a bottleneck, it's just something that as long as marketing teams can dream up a campaign, Darwin Apps will deliver it for them without them having to shuffle around for resources or beg the engineering team for time. They will get taken care of, and their campaign will make it to life. So it's a, it's a fancy way of saying that your campaigns are actually going to make it into code. They're not just going to get backburnered for, uh, for forever. Great. Thank you. Okay, we're approaching our final commercial break. When we return, we will continue with this line of questioning. So stay tuned. Back in a couple of minutes, you're listening to Coaching for Real on the Voice America Business Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Imagine a relationship where you're asked to think rather than being told what to think. A relationship that is focused on your potential, not your performance. This is coaching, a designed alliance where the single purpose is achieving your intended outcome. Discover that what lies behind you and what lies before you are trivial matters compared to what lies within you. Understand that your current realities do not define your potential. They are merely your current awareness of your potential. Become your own hero. Your greatest possibilities lie beneath your current level of self-awareness. Waiting to be discovered. Choose to live into the greatness that God created for you. Discover the magnitude of what's within you so you can conquer the magnitude of what surrounds you. 
Your coach is passionate about helping you achieve your masterpiece at RonaldGraves.com. Again, that's RonaldGraves.com. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also choose to send an email to ronald at ronaldgraves.com. Now, back to Coaching for Real. Welcome back. We are talking with uh, Vlad Lakshin, and we were on a line of questioning where I had... um, started asking him some statements that he could kind of elaborate on and kind of bring to light. Uh, He did a great job on that first one, hacking marketing growth through engineering. Uh, The second one I've got is, is one that I need some explanation on. That is wireframing and prototyping, moving from intangible to tangible. Can you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So whenever any kind of work gets, gets done or planned, whether it's design or whether it's engineering, it always starts with, somebody has an idea of what they want built in their head, right? Mm -hmm. What people way too often neglect, and it it sounds obvious when we talk about it, but not enough people do, is simply get it out of their head as quickly as possible and onto a piece of paper. People think that they need to be a designer. People think that they need fancy design software, but wireframing is something that can be done with a paper and napkin. It can be done with PowerPoint. It can be done with Keynote. It can be done with design software. It can be done with a whiteboard and sitting with somebody in a room and then taking a photo of it. It's simply taking a visual concept from your head, describing it visually on paper, and into something that's an easy-to-share format because you'll have to work with others to actually implement what you've wireframed. And it's something where it sounds simple and it sounds silly, but it will actually save more than 50% on most engineering projects when it actually comes to building them. So for, for customers that, that used to come with designs versus wireframes versus nothing, I mean, the drop-off of uh, how inefficient projects got for projects without wireframes, we, we stopped even taking on teams that, that couldn't provide wireframes. Uh, it's just an indicator for people that can't clearly describe what it is they want to get built. And I think that a lot of people have the ability to describe what they want to get built clearly, but few people have taken the time to um, educate themselves on what wireframing really is and what it can be and how simple it is to get started with it. So for example, inter- if you are, go ahead. Can I interrupt you for just a second? You know, it's, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm thinking from personal experience that, that some of these ideas in your head, it's really hard to see them on paper or whatever. It's, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fuzzy vision and how, how do you get yeah. that fuzzy vision to the paper and then to the flat surface? It's and hard. then it's, it's hard. I mean, it's it looks different. I, I would I would, Here's how I mostly coach people that want to want to get into wireframing. So there's there's what you just said, which is the idea in your head can be really fuzzy, or or just getting it out on, on by hand is really hard. Um, a good exercise that I recommend for people is before you get your idea out of your head and onto paper, look at an existing product that you like, 
and just try to draw it in as simple a way as possible. Don't draw the entire product. Draw boxes, lines, and small annotations that just visually, if you showed it to a friend, a partner, um, anybody else just in your casual day-to-day life, if you showed it to them, they could say, yes, that looks like Facebook, or yes, that looks like Twitter, or that looks like a chat application. What that does is that trains the mechanics of wireframing without having to get involved with the creativity of that fuzzy side of actually getting something out of your head and onto paper. So most literally, it's, it's two steps. It's get it out of your head and get it onto paper. The get it onto paper part can be practiced by looking at existing products and first tracing those, if that's how simple it has to start, and then trying to draw a very simple representation with boxes and, and simple lines of what it should look like, whether that's by hand or by PowerPoint or design software. Um, and only then and after that's been done do you really try taking a crack at your own ideas because you're absolutely right. I mean, some of these ideas can be really fuzzy and, and getting them out is, is very important, but it can be very frustrating if it's just not working. So if it ever feels like it's not working, try redrawing an existing application, which is pretty easy for anyone to do or with enough practice, they'll, they'll definitely get it there. And only then try getting your own idea out. But this this can be applied to anything. Any, any vision doesn't have to be in the... In the, in the computer Absolutely. industry? or the- Absolutely. I think that if, if you are going to get your, your floors redone, if you can draw out what you want done and, and visually explain it and get everyone on the same page with this is what done means, I mean, that's how successful projects get done. And when we see projects Amazing. fail, that's, that's why projects fail is because that, that upfront work was not done and everybody did not have the same definition of done in their heads. Great. Okay, I interrupted you. I'll let you go back to the prototyping part of it and, and, and finish that for sure. the intangible. Um, intangible. So prototyping is, um, I would actually call it a step beyond wireframing. Wireframing is taking an idea out of your head and getting it on a paper. Prototyping is getting a full product or idea, vision, or campaign together without actually having to build it. So again, people, people always think that they have to go to an expensive marketing or design or creative or engineering agency to get anything prototyped. This is something where you could put together a PowerPoint presentation of five wireframes working together to get a customer from a from a beginning to an end goal. So, say for example, you wanted to build, um, you know, this I guess this one's already been done before, but you wanted to build a, a product where you could pull out your phone and order a car, and a car shows up and drops you off wherever you want. That might sound complicated when we look at Uber and try to think about how Uber got built and everything, but if we just started with this idea of we want to be able to pull out our phone and be able to press a button and a car arrives, that's something that just about anybody can prototype with enough practice with something as simple as five sticky notes that are linked together or five uh, PowerPoint pages that are linked together or once they really get into it and if they are in this world of product development and technology, um, design software that links it together. Today there are tons of solutions that, that I won't bore you with but that make that prototyping process easier and easier without having to actually invest in engineering. Um, and in the same way that wireframes apply to just about anything where you can define what gets built before it actually gets built, uh, with prototyping, it's the same way, but you can actually save a little more because you're not just doing things by a single screen or a single process. You can do it for an entire uh, experience of a product or service. Wow, that's great. Now let me move on to the next one. This one is the future of work, or at least in the software development field. Um, talk about how fully or partially distributed teams of tomorrow will flourish in a more connected world. Yeah, so I, I think that you know, we, we all think that the Internet has changed everything. Uh, and what it has changed or what it has the opportunity to change 
most significantly that I don't think we've totally taken advantage of yet is how work gets done. Uh, and specifically, software development is near and dear to my heart because of both companies. But if we think about how software development gets done, the majority of it is done online in front of a computer. But with workers actually going to or people actually going to an office and putting their butt and sitting in a seat from nine to five. Uh, something there fundamentally does not add up. If more, the majority of work is done in front of a computer and on an online connection, why isn't the majority of work actually connected through a computer and online connection? And there are absolutely solutions that are popping up now that are, that are handling that, at least of which is Turtle. Uh, other solutions like Upwork and Gigster and TopTel exist to, to take different aims and approaches at solving this. Um, but I think that if we look forward five years or 10 years, uh, not only will, will employers be forced to offer the opportunity for people to work remotely, but I think that they will start taking the advantages of uh, realizing that they don't have to hire somebody full-time for every single job. If there's a one-off job, you can hire somebody for a one-off project. And if there's a job that doesn't require full-time, you should absolutely be able to hire somebody for five hours or for 10 hours a week. And what that's going to result in is that you're going to have people specializing in, in very specific skills where it won't be, I'm a general engineer. They'll be able to do one thing better than anybody else in the world and resell that skill over and over again to many companies. Uh, it's going to offer up a lot of freedom, a lot of efficiency for both sides of the market because there will be less time spent training, less time spent matching somebody to a job. There will simply be more specialized people that can work from anywhere at any time, which helps both sides of the market, both employers and workers. Thank you. Uh, something's come to mind that we've been talking for almost since the start of this show about finding all this talent and having these superstars on your teams and building teamwork and, and all these different people for a five-hour project or a 50-hour project or whatever. But I haven't asked you the big question. How do you find these people? How do we find these people? Um, Sergey, so again, Sergey was a, a huge part of, of getting Darwin Apps together and, and continues to be because he, he was actually born in Belarus and, and grew up there and worked there for a bit as well. So he established uh, some pretty deep connections with great engineers in Belarus and other countries in Eastern Europe. So for Darwin Apps, um, I, I can't give credit to myself there. The, the engineers that we found abroad uh, and were able to convince to, to give their time to, to Darwin Apps was because of Sergey. Um, for Turtle, we take a different approach. Um, we, we don't hire full-timers on Turtle. We hire people that are PhD students or work a full-time role already and want to help companies in a 10 or 15 hour commitment weekly. Um, and the way that we look for them is we find a couple of freelancers in specific areas, make sure that we treat them right and get them successful in a couple of projects if they're doing everything they need to do from their side. And then we actually set up referral programs for them to invite their friends from local communities and other parts and online communities as well. So the idea is we start with a small pocket, uh, whether it's geographically or on a certain technology or a certain skill, make sure that we look for the best people, vet for the best people, treat them right, and then we actually incentivize them to then invite other freelancers as well. And we do financially incentivize them as well, which creates a bit of a self-fulfilling system of both recruitment and also quality control in terms of their, those people for their first three, five, six months. Great philosophy. Now, I got one last one. We got a couple minutes left before we have to wrap up. I've got one last one that I pull right off your website. Can you explain your simple formula for building the impossible? Elite engineering plus sure. focus PM and communications. Yep. So uh, elite engineering is a must-have for anybody hiring engineering. If, if your engineers cannot write 
good quality code and, and break down problems into easy to understand and digest and work on pieces, um, they should not be on the team. I see engineering as a base requirement of successful engineering teams now. Uh, and then the elite PM and communications is something that I think most teams neglect. Uh, I don't think that teams do the simple things of looking at both the next steps and the big picture at the same time. So when a customer has a 10000 or $20,000 or $50,000 budget and their next deliverable of success means that one of their customers can register for a product or can share a product with a friend, uh, being able to analyze the big picture, so this is what the customer expects by this date on this specific budget, and being able to, to analyze the next the small picture, which is how can we make this customer happy and, and comfortable and, and what the next steps are with the very next step of the project at the same time. I think that's proper project management and communications, and I think so few teams do it. I mean, so many agencies think about how do we max out this contract and then maybe not finish it at the end so we can then extend this contract or, or thinking in terms that are simply the wrong incentives. Uh, we try to be very careful in thinking about how do we set ourselves up for both the customer and the engineer to work as efficiently as possible and reward efficiency for both sides in that situation. Great. Thank so, you. To, yeah. Did that answer your question? It answers the question. Great answer. Cool. Well, Vlad, it's been a sincere um, pleasure having you as our guest on Coaching for Real. Thank you. Um, how thank can our listeners contact you to get more information? How can they get to Darwin Apps or uh, Turtle? Sure. And uh, take so advantage of Apps. what you've got. Darwin Apps, which I, I uh, thoroughly believe is is a uh, the best solution for anybody hiring agency software engineers, is at darwinapps.com. Um, and then if you are a smaller company or individual looking to hire freelancers and work directly with engineers and uh, manage them yourself, turtle.ai is the website there. Um, and we also have a free project management and chat app for, uh, for teams that might not want to hire freelancers, but if they just want to use it with their own freelancers or with their own teams, uh, we have built that in-house as well. It's a very easy and pleasant to use. It feels like a to-do list app, except you can actually find freelancers through it as well. Great. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your time. All right. And thanks to the listeners Coach. for listening. Excellent. Coaching for Real is about you, real people, real challenges, real breakthrough. Now, if you're an entrepreneur or a business leader, like we've been talking about tonight, you're interested in being a guest on this show, um, please let me know. I will be more than happy to send you some information. In addition, send me your comments, questions, and anything else that might be on your mind. I even welcome criticism and suggestions for improvement. That's one of the questions I didn't answer. Ask Vlad tonight. What about you know people giving you feedback that might be negative? But I don't mind it at all. This show is about you, so I want to hear from you. Positive and the constructive. Because my goal is to make this experience even better. And I want to thank Vlad once again tonight for being such an outstanding guest and giving us so much great information for our listeners. Again, my email address is ronald at ronaldgraves.com. It's been a sincere pleasure to add value to you through Coaching for Real. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Until we meet again, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Coaching for Real today. Be sure to join Ronald Graves again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again very soon.